This Eric in the Morning podcast is brought to you by ComEd. ComEd lets you pay your way and go about your day. Choose between auto pay, online, phone, mail, or in-person bill pay. Visit ComEd.com slash pay to choose what works best for you. ComEd powering lives. Welcome to Lily's Bake Sale. Today we're offering the red velvet cupcakes that Mrs. Johnson next door called breathtaking. Cash, credit, or online payment accepted. Just like Lily, ComEd provides multiple payment options. Need a gluten-free or vegan? Just ask our staff. I'm not your staff. I'm your brother. Choose the payment option that works best for you. Auto pay, online, phone, mail, or in person. Visit comed.com slash pay. Comed. Powering lives. One order of gluten-free cupcakes coming right up. All sorts of developments in the last 24 hours. Not to mention the last week. Oh, yeah. And what uh, holds for the next 24 hours or the next week or two weeks? Anybody's guess at this point. It changes moment to moment. And for that reason, we're trying to gather all the information we can about COVID-19 and the coronavirus and uh, how our lives are going to be changed in the short and the long term. So I thought, well, let's go straight to a doctor and get this cleared up to the best of our ability, get questions answered to the best of our ability right now. So we've invited uh, Dr. Kevin Most, the Chief Medical Officer at Northwestern Medicine Central DuPage Hospital, to join us. He's also an excellent golfer. I just want to be on the record about that. That's cool. Uh, hi, Dr. Most. Good morning, Eric. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're okay. How are you? Not bad, you know, doing okay here, getting uh, prepared as much as we can for what the future holds for us right now. Let's dive right into it. I'm curious right out of the gate, and if you're on hold, 312-233-1019, hang on, we'll get to your calls. But uh, right into it, COVID-19 versus a cold versus allergies, everybody seems to be concerned that they're going to be exhibiting symptoms and what to do about it. So if what specific symptoms should a person be looking for if they think they might have COVID-19? Yeah, it's actually the biggest problem that we have right now, Eric, is that COVID-19 is one of the coronaviruses. There's seven different coronaviruses. Four of them cause the common cold, symptoms that we all might have. Everyone that's listening has had a coronavirus in the past. So the symptoms are all the same. You know, cough, shortness of breath, and fever are the full-blown symptoms. The difficult part we have with this one is that you can spread the disease before you even have the symptoms. Okay. All right. And uh, so that then the next question would be spreading it without even having the symptoms. Generally, how long from exposure to symptomatic is it? Yeah, it's interesting. The incubation period in individuals that they've tested has gone from two days to 14 days. But you can start shedding the virus 24 to 48 hours before you have symptoms. So that's our big problem is how do you contain a disease where it's spread before you even identified who has the disease? And everybody obviously concerned, and, and I don't mean to be an alarmist, but uh, the deadly qualities of it. We heard yesterday uh, health professionals saying it's 10 times more deadly than the flu. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's, a, <clears throat> that's probably one of the biggest con- contentious points right now. We don't know the denominator of what this is, but it appears to be stronger than the influenza. But we really don't know how many patients actually have it to tell us how strong it is. But we do know that it's hitting a vulnerable population more than it's hitting the healthy population. If you look at influenza and you were to get influenza after not being vaccinated, you would have full-blown symptoms, 103 fever, body aches, you'd feel terrible for 10 days. This disease appears to have mild symptoms for some individuals and then severe uh, symptoms for those who are vulnerable, immune compromised and those seniors that we're concerned about. So we got a text, uh, Dr. Most. Can a person who tests positive for the coronavirus not get the disease? And how soon after exposure will symptoms appear? You just kind of addressed that. But can you have coronavirus and not exhibit any of the symptoms? Yep. 
<clears throat> yep, it, it certainly appears that you can have the virus and have very mild or minimal symptoms. If you look at the young uh, student from LaGrange, you know, he came back, he said, you know, I had a little runny nose, but I really wasn't feeling bad. Where you have a lot of people at this time of the year that have those exact symptoms that really are not going to be running to get tested. So uh, that's that's the concern is you can have the disease and very mild symptoms and then still be able to spread it. Let's talk about the getting tested because this is something I have yep. a buddy uh, who's an ER doc who says that uh, he is witnessing people that have mild symptoms of a cold who are rushing to get tested and a lot of the uh, hospitals are being overrun. What are the symptoms that somebody exhibits that they should go to the hospital versus if you have, a, like Melissa has a runny nose, she shouldn't be running to the ER right now, should she? Correct. For a few reasons. One, Melissa, there's no treatment for this. So if we tell you that you're positive, all we're really telling you to do is to make sure that you isolate and minimize your exposure to the vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. We also have to realize that currently with the number of tests we have out there, the state of Illinois determines who's going to be tested. If someone shows up in our emergency room and we feel they need to be tested, we need to call the state to get approval for testing. And that is going to tell us people who have symptoms, who have had exposure, or who have had recent travel to one of the highly populated areas that we're seeing this outbreak. I wanted to ask a question because you mentioned, um, you know, if someone were to get the flu shot, which is, we know this isn't the flu, this is an influenza. I had read that there maybe was potential to keep the symptoms a little less um, severe. severe. So yeah. is that actually true or is that not true? It's really not true. I mean, they're two totally different viruses. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, the individual who gets a flu shot is mainly going to be may, or possibly be somebody that's healthy, right? So the influenza vaccine is not going to protect you from coronavirus. However, that individual may be thinking proactively and be one that says, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent influenza. And that same individual is the individual who takes vitamins, who makes sure they get their rest, who decreases their stress and exercises, all the things that we can do to increase our immune system to allow us to fight off the coronavirus. Uh, Dr. Kevin Moses with us. Can you take a couple of calls here? Absolutely. All right. Uh, hi, Jessica. You had a question for Dr. Most? Hi, good morning. You kind of addressed it already, so I appreciate it. But on Monday, I was diagnosed with strep throat in my urgent care. And I did ask, could this be COVID-19? And they said probably not because I was positive for strep throat. But now everyone in my family is trying to figure out with their kind of mild strep-like symptoms, if they have COVID-19 or if they have strep throat. So it's just kind of confusing. I was hoping maybe you could help clarify that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jessica, strep throat caused by bacteria, not a virus. It's, a, it's a one great thing about the illness, to be honest with you, because we can treat it and you can be at least decreasing symptoms within just a couple of days. Now, could you have COVID on top of strep throat? Yeah, but you could also win the lottery. So, right. I mean, the chance of having both of those at the exact same time when the number of cases in the state is so low is very, very rare. And um, chances are that your family members have the common cold or a, a, a low case of influenza. Uh, I got another text in. My question yep. is, if a person gets the virus and gets better, can they get it again? Yeah. Eric, that's probably one of the biggest questions that's out there right now. You know, some illnesses, once you get it once, you're going to be protected for a long period of time. Think of things like measles, mumps, rubella, pertussis, all of those where we get protection after we've had it or had the vaccination. We don't know if this virus will mutate, and we also don't know about the long-term immunity of this. 
that is going to play big into whether or not a vaccine is appropriate, is needed, and how quickly we need to get it out there. I got a practical lifestyle question on a hold here. Hi, Gady. Go ahead. You're on with Dr. Most. Yeah, hi. My question is, I have a wedding that I'm actually going to be attending um, coming March 28th, and it's 850 guests, Mm. and I'm not sure if it's wise for me to go or stay or take my daughter or not. Yeah, this is a really tough one. This is a question that's coming up a lot with spring break coming up and all the events that are going up. You know, and if you look at what's happening across the country, we're trying to minimize the large um, gatherings of individuals because we really want people to have social distancing, three to six feet away from people. When you go to a large wedding, is that going to be possible? That being said, there's an overabundance of caution for this. So if you use wise techniques and wash your hands and don't shake hands and don't give people hugs and try to social distance as much as you can, I would hate to have people ruin their weddings because of the potential of this. That being said, anybody who has any symptoms should certainly not be present at the wedding and uh, should send their condolences and a, you know, and a gift. Um, but you certainly don't want the person who's coughing for everyone around them to think that and decrease the impact of the event. Do you recommend spring break travel or should families and people avoid it? You know, Kevin, I'm going to travel. Um, I I go down to North Carolina every month. Um, I'm going to continue to travel. I'm going to do the things that I normally do, which is clean my environment around me when I get on an airplane. You know, try to minimize where I'm going to sit at the proper place, but I'm going to wash down the belt buckle. I'm going to wash down this armrest, the tray table, everything around my environment. I'm going to turn the air so that it's pushing away. We have to realize that the virus is out here everywhere. So if you can social distance in the airport away from somebody and get on an airplane, clean your environment, the chance of you getting in on an airplane is very low. That being said, I'm not sure I would go on a cruise at this time. I would probably be careful even at some of the large uh, amusement parks because of the opportunity for the inopportunity to clean the environment properly as well as how many people are going to be present. Uh, Somebody just texted in, should we stay away from gyms and health clubs and fitness centers? Yeah, that's a, it's a great one there. You know, fitness centers and health clubs, as long as you take the opportunity to make sure the equipment that you're using is clean. And then I would probably say, hey, you know, using the steam and the shower in those areas, I might say, hey, you know what, if you're going to do it and you're going to go work out, which exercise is great for your immune system, clean the environment that you're going to have, but then go home and shower and, and do all those things uh, in your own personal space. Do we need to worry about COVID-19 living on our clothes? Somebody just asked. Yeah, you know, we know that it can live on surfaces, and it's a matter of how long it can live on surfaces. So can it live on our clothes? You know, absolutely it can. Um, but how long? We don't know that yet. So people, you know, we, we tell docs, you know, after they get home, take home, take off their clothes and shower. Um, but, I mean, really, there's not a lot that we know as far as how long it will live on inert surfaces. Dr. Most, is it inevitable that we're all going to have exposure at some point or at least know someone who has it? Is that inevitable? Yeah, I think it is inevitable, Eric. You know, the virus is here. It spreads without symptoms. You know, the number of cases is going up, obviously, dramatically. Look at what's happening around the world. We are a microcosm of what's going to happen next year. Um, it would be very unusual if this dropped off the face of the earth. Now, that being said, its cousin, SARS, went six months and then stopped. We haven't had a case of SARS in, you know, what, 12 years. Right. So, um 
that's one thing we can hope for, but uh, certainly we should be doing everything we can to protect ourselves and protect the vulnerable populations around us. And I know everyone's taken the precautions for like washing their hands, not touching their face. Has there ever been confirmation about how it's spread, whether it's spread through the air with coughing or if it's droplets? Yeah, it is. It's actually droplets through the air. So when you cough and sneeze, you know, that those projectiles go about six feet. So that's why the social distancing is six feet. They go about three feet. So we add, you know, additional footage there. The other thing is that it can live on surfaces. So you touch a surface that someone had just coughed into their hand, and now you touch your face and you have essentially self-infected your body. Um, But we know that that's where it's coming from. And finally, you know, we're seeing a, a lot of people, and not only here, we work in the Prudential Building where the confirmed case happened yesterday and people were leaving and there's self-quarantining and all these things that we've been asking throughout the morning. The concept of self-quarantine, can you define that? Does that mean you go into your home for 14 days and you don't come out, you have no contact with anybody? Do you have to have food, like, delivered and left on your doorstep? What is the ideal way to self-quarantine? Yeah, I mean, the ideal world of self-quarantine is exactly what you just said, that you stay in your environment and you don't go anywhere else. That being said, that's going to be very, very difficult as we start to see these increasing numbers. So I think our self-quarantine number is going to be stay out of public areas, stay away from social distancing. You want to go out and walk the dog? You go, go walk the dog. But if you're going to say go into grocery stores, no, we have opportunities to have groceries delivered to us in this day and age. You know, we want to minimize anybody who potentially could spread this so that we keep the numbers down. And probably the most important thing is you, let's say you have it and you go out you don't know who you're going to expose. And that, unfortunately, you don't know if the individual that you just gave a shopping cart to after you used it is somebody who's on chemotherapy and is immunocompromised. That's probably the other big thing is we need to start to look at the vulnerable population and isolate them instead of quarantining actually people who possibly were exposed. We should be quarantining those who are at the most highest risk of getting this illness. I think it's important to say, too, if somebody is um, has been confirmed to have it and they're quarantining at home, what about their family members? So if you've got brothers and sisters and your parents and that kind of thing, how do you keep them from getting it? Melissa, it's probably one of the biggest concerns we have. Uh, you quarantine me at home. I'm with my family. And you say, okay, for the next 14 days, you and your family are going to be quarantined. What happens if one of my kids or a uh, family member doesn't get exposed until day 12 because I'm really very careful about what I do in my home. Is that individual now need to be quarantined and where does this end as far as the dates of quarantine? All right. Very, very strange times we live in, Dr. Most. Thank you for uh, your time this morning. And uh, one final question, am I safe to go to the golf course or is that a bad idea? No, you're very safe going to the golf course, Eric. It's probably one of the safest places for you. Social distancing is very easy on a golf course. Just not if you're playing against him. That's right. That, that's right. Dr. Kevin Most, thank you so much, and uh, we appreciate your time and your insight today. You got it. Take care, Eric. Thanks a lot. Dr. Kevin Most, your chief medical officer at Northwestern Medicine, Central DuPage Hospital. Interesting stuff. Very. And very, very very bizarre time we're living in. This Eric in the Morning podcast is brought to you by ComEd. ComEd lets you pay your way and go about your day. Choose between auto pay, online, phone, mail, or in-person bill pay. Visit comed.com slash pay to choose what works best for you. ComEd powering lives.